Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. By God. Well, our theme so far this year has been keeping Christianity strange. This morning, we are going to conclude our series in just a moment in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so what we've seen so far is this king of ours who came into our world bringing peace rather than violence, like like all the other kings who came before him. He was a king who was homeless rather than coming from a family of lavish abundance or who was affluent. And ultimately on the cross, what we see Jesus doing is rather than destroying his enemies or trying to beat them into submission. We see Jesus and this king lay down his life for his enemies, loving them to the very end on the cross. And the world has looked at this for over two millennia now, saying this is a very strange king. After that, what we saw was we have a message now that that as a result of Easter Sunday, that Jesus arose from his grave and now his resurrection is the guarantee that one day, if we remain faithful to him, we will also triumph over our graves. And yet this is very strange news in the years of the world at first. Or even if the mountains were to fall into the depths of the sea, even if an enemy were to encamp around me, I will not fear. And this is a very strange calm, a very angelic composure in in, um, a presence of what could be construed as being a terrorist thing. Where even if the living nightmares ensue in our lives, our response is not going to be blaming God or despairing, but but rather what the response is going to be from Christians is, is to just lapse into a spontaneous worship service. This is a very strange and unusual response to human suffering. And at last, what we see this morning is this strange lifestyle um, that we have been invited by Christ to live, that, that we have received a summons to embrace. And so we begin this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. And the Apostle Peter says this in the 11th verse. He says, Beloved, I implore you, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. I mean, notice how he describes these Christians and these believers, but especially notice how he is describing you and me as Christians. Or we have been given this very unusual identity as Christians in the world. And Peter is borrowing language all the way back in the book of Genesis that Abraham uses in description of himself in these same words. Or if we look at many of the other translations, what we find are words like 
you are aliens. It's a word which means that you are a foreigner. And it's not just that you are a stranger living in a place, but you are a strange stranger. You're not like anybody else around you. As 1 Peter begins, he opens up his letter and, and he refers to these Christians who he's writing to as exiles. And we know that an exile is a person who is living in a very strange place far away from where they came from either by force or by their own choice. An exile finds himself in a place where they feel just as strange in that place as they appear to everybody else, you know, around them. And so he's saying that you're aliens and you're exiles, and then he also uses the word sojourners. Now, a sojourner is a person who is just wandering around, in this temporary place for a temporary time. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, as we read about many of, of our heroes in the faith, and as it refers to our patriarchs in the faith who came before us, it says in verse 13 that, that all of these died in faith, having not received what was promised to them, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It says, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And you know, here's where this gets very interesting. Is that Peter, as he writes his letter to these Christians... He's writing to various Christians who are scattered throughout five provinces in Asia Minor, in Turkey nowadays. And although it may be a possibility that there are, are at least some of these Christians who literally are scattered exiles in these places far away from where they have come from, it is believed that mainly what Peter is doing as he uses these words and description of their identity is he is using it in a metaphorical spiritual context. Where he's writing to many Christians who are living in their own hometowns. And what he's saying to them is that, yes, even, even though you may have lived here your whole entire life, and you come from here and you go to the same marketplaces as everyone else shops at, even in your own native land, you are a stranger. You are a foreigner. You are an alien because you wear the name of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I can also say just as easily that, yes, we may be eating the exact same food as everyone else is eating. We may breathe the same air and drive up and down the exact same streets as everybody else is driving. But even in our native country, we are strangers sojourners, foreigners, aliens, because we wear the name of Christ. You see, these are Christians who could have learned and who could have said that, that yes, we are residents of Asia Minor, and yet we are citizens of, of the kingdom of heaven. 
We could say that, yes, we are residents of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in the United States of America, but we are citizens of a homeland that we have not yet seen with our own eyes. And so to see is, is that to live a life for Jesus is to live a breathtakingly abnormal way of life that is counter and subversive to everything that this world calls normal and good and right. That if we truly live the Christian life as Jesus had intended, I mean, for all of these years, I guarantee you, people have been driving up and down on Park Avenue where our cathedral is. And to us, it is normal everyday life on a Sunday morning. And yet in the eyes of those who, who don't yet understand all of this, they look at us and what they see is the Adams family. You know, they're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adams family. A lot of people look at Christians and say, look at all these people. I mean, it's Sunday morning for crying out loud. I mean, sleep in. Go fishing. Watch NFL Sunday Ticket. You know, watch the Red Zone. It's Sunday morning. But can you believe that these people actually spend every one of their Sunday mornings singing all of these old songs, eating little crackers and drinking juice as they listen to a person read from old books about people who have been dead for two, three, four thousand years? I mean, it's just very strange in the eyes of the world. And when we start speaking about the kingdom of God and about the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of Christ to, to a lot of people in this world, it's like a dog who is hearing a strange sound and they have their head going back and forth. They might as well be hearing Nanu Nanu coming out of our mouths because it's so strange in their ears. And so what he's saying is be different, be unique, be strange, because that's what the Christian life is in the world. But here is what our problem is. Our problem is nobody wants to feel strange. Nobody wants to feel like an alien or like a freak. And I can guarantee you that as Peter writes these Christians, this is going through a lot of their minds. And that's because these are Christians who are living in cities that are, that are utterly Roman. These are societies that are utterly a debaucherous, you know, as a society, gluttonous in indulgences. These are societies that had, had, had been ingrained in their hearts that, that you need to drink until you black out. That you can worship whatever you wish to worship. That you can sleep with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, and with as many people as you want to at the same time. And you see, this was the life that so many of these Christians Peter is writing to once lived, and not that long ago at that. 
See, this is all these men and women ever had known before they had known that there was a Jesus. And it is such a temptation for them to go back to that lifestyle again. And so what is Peter doing? He, he is reminding them, he, he is emboldening them that as sojourners, that as these foreign exiles, when you find yourself surrounded by all of these all, all of these temptations to indulge, just like you used to. As Christians, we are to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. Because these impulses are waging war against our souls, he's saying. And we know what, what all of these impulses and desires are. What are they? They are greed. They are loss. They, they are rage and, and idolatry and hatred. And he's saying that I know that the temptation is strong, but resist. And there are, are at least two lethal extremes. A lot of times when we find ourselves not wanting to be strange in the world as Christians. One of those extremes that can be lethal and deadly is conformity. Where what is going through a lot of the minds of these Christians is all of this harassment, all of these fiery trials and ostracizing that we are undergoing, it can all come to an end right now. If we just renounce Jesus, if we return to being who we used to be in this world, then all of this mistreatment is going to come to an end. Well, if we come into chapter 4, though, we see him reminding them once again and calming them to action. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, it's going to hurt saying no to sin. That we should no longer live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And notice what he says in verse 3, especially. He says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, in other words, the non-spiritual world of Christ, when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And then, if, um, and then in verse 4, he uses our word and he says that, that in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation or of destruction and they speak evil against you because of that. He's saying that, that all these people who you grew up with living this, this exact same lifestyle all those years they now look at you and say, how could you ever walk away from this? How could you ever resist these impulses? See, this is a very strange lifestyle in the eyes of the world. And so conformity is a major temptation to just blend in and to hide and to conceal our, you know, the fact that we wear the name of Christ. And yet another extreme that, 
is hazardous and deadly to us is to privatize the good news and the fact that we're Christians. And there have been a lot of Christians who have read what, what we find in 2 Corinthians where it says, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And sadly, a lot of people have come to the conclusion that, well, what this means is that we need to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. We need to have nothing to do with these people because we can't have their, their wickedness rubbing off on us. And there's been a lot of groups who have gone this, this, this route on their own island in their own individual world in reality. I think about the Essenes who lived in the first century who, who literally came to a lot of these conclusions and it moved out deep into a desert far away from the rest of civilization. And they privatized their convictions and their faith. I don't know enough about the Amish community, but a lot of people look at the Amish community about an hour away from us as being very strange, as being those who have isolated and, and completely cut off their, their own selves from the rest of the world. And yet I want to go back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 2 for just a moment, though, and come to verse 12. Because what Peter says here is, he says, having your conduct or your lifestyle honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. And so what he's saying is that, in other words, if you live this very strange lifestyle in the midst of the world, the world is going to notice, and it's going to speak ill of you. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb, that whoever is brave enough to live a Sermon on the Mount kind of, of lifestyle, you're going to be seen as radically different in your culture and that has a very steep price to pay in terms of your reputation a lot of times. And yet notice, though, what Peter's doing. Where he's borrowing language from the Sermon on the Mount, and what he's saying is, yes, some will speak ill of you. And yet others will have, have eyes and ears for the truth. And they will glorify God when they see this strange lifestyle in due time. So what he's saying is, do not give up living the Christian life. And if we could go back to our, our main text in verse 11 this morning. I just want to go back to the very first word that we read in verse 11. Yet another identity that he gives them. Where he uses the word of beloved. You see, this is a very special word to me because it's what my, my own literal name means. David means one who is beloved by God. Well, in New Testament scripture, this word beloved has a couple of meanings. Originally, what it means is, is God the Father looking at God the Son and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And yet notice now as Christians, though, what this also means just as much is that God looks at us 
And he says, this is my beloved son. These are my beloved sons and daughters in whom I am well pleased. So yes, we're going to be mistreated by the world. The world is going to see us as strange and, and as abnormal, but we are loved by God. And we are loved by the church. And so we are never alone as we live this strange lifestyle. And yet lastly this morning though, having said all of this in this series, we have to establish the reality that, that not all strangeness is good. I think another way of saying this is that there is good weird and then there is bad weird, right? Right? Michael Jackson moonwalking at Motown 83, good weird. Michael Jackson 1987 to 2009, bad weird, okay? I read about this man named Gary Matthews who was a dog owner, and he loved dogs. Until one day he decided that he was going to become a dog. And so one day he just begins living as a dog and he's got a collar around his neck. He started eating nothing but puppy chow and milk bones out of a dog bowl, drinking water out of a dog bowl. He would even bark and sleep in a dog house. And I mean, I think that goes without saying that that is not good weird, that is bad weird. That's not good strange, that is we are riding you out of the family will kind of strange. And yet, you know, I think for a very long time when the world has seen Christians, especially in this generation, they have not been seeing good weird. They've been seeing bad weird. In the past 30, 40 years, there have been various Christian groups, churches even, who have decided that we are going to do something about this atrocity of abortion. And rightfully so. This is an atrocity in the world. And yet the way that some Christian groups have decided that they would respond to this ill of our society was to kidnap a doctor for eight days. On another occasion, what another Christian group had decided was, we're going to bomb an abortion clinic. And that's just exactly what they did. Killing a person in the blast. And there was a Christian organization who had claimed responsibility for this, who was later on identified as a terrorist organization. I mean, I just can't wrap my, my mind around this. A Christian terrorist organization. I mean, this is not good weird. This is grotesque weird. This is demonically strange. I think about another church called the Westboro Church in Texas, I believe it is, who, it, who are notorious for going to graveside services of military men or women who were not Christians. And they have a grieving family who is weeping at a grave, and yet there are members of this Westboro Church who are screaming themselves hoarse and megaphones, God hates you. Your son was hated by God. Your, your son or your daughter is going to hell because they weren't a Christian. 
And I can hear the words of the Apostle Paul, my, my brothers, these things should not be. I went to school and to a seminary with, with a person who was a youth minister. And he went to a youth minister conference where the exact same conference is conducted every year in this hotel. For years and years and years, youth ministers would buy up all of the rooms of this hotel. And yet he is speaking to the man behind the desk and he was horrified upon learning that what the man behind the desk had, had revealed to him casually was that that was the week where the highest sales of pornographic movies were registered to the hotels when all of these Christian youth ministers bought up all of the hotel rooms. Again, I can hear the words of Scripture, my brothers, these things should not be. And you see, what these messages have been all about so far this year is that our world has seen enough bad weird. We live in a world, we live in a society that is starving for good strength. where the unbelieving world can look at Christians and say that, that she, she believes that even if a person sins against her seven times in one day, and they keep on apologizing and saying, please forgive me, she will forgive them from the bottom of her heart. It's like, how could you ever be able to do that? Where he's got this co-worker who insults him and who mistreats him all the time. But rather than trying to get even with them and, and rather than retaliating, he took them out to lunch as if they were his best friend. Why would he do something like that? Where she had an opportunity to lie and to save her job, but instead she told the unabashed truth and she lost her job as a result of that. How could anybody ever do that? Where he, he had a golden opportunity to indulge in improper sexual gratification. Nobody would have known anything about it in his family, but he said that I am going to resist this. I cannot violate my marriage covenant. Why would anybody do that? where she just lost both of her parents to the coronavirus within two weeks. And now her job is in jeopardy because of massive layoffs, but she is still the happiest, most joyous person that I have ever seen in my life. How is that even possible? Where we went out to, to lunch on a business meal, and he ordered steak, but the waiter brought him fish, and he spilled it all over his lap. And yet he gave that waiter a $75 tip. Why would anybody ever do that? And his response was, what better way to show and to demonstrate God's mercy and God's grace that we do not deserve? than giving a person who has screwed up so much in one day what he did not deserve and just giving him lavish grace instead. 
I mean, when we bring this kind of strange Christian energy into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into the supermarket, into our own individual families, one by one, people in this world are going to experience a strange lifestyle. And some are going to glorify God as a result of it. And so what this is inviting us all to this morning is be odd for God. I'm not speaking about bad odd. I'm speaking about good odd. About holy strange. About sacred weirdness. And so what I want to invite us to, first of all, is to embrace that strangeness. Cherish our identity as aliens and as strangers who don't get too comfortable living in this world with the things of below. Embrace it. And then lastly, what I want to invite us to is, is to stop looking for our identity and all of the possessions and the politics of this world. And rather to see ourselves as as the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And that's because we also are headed to our promised land. And so, yes, we enjoy this world, but we are not of this world anymore. The more attached we become to this world and all of its various distractions, the more our hearts are going to be weighed down and the more our witness to the truth in this world is going to be distorted and veiled and concealed. And yet when we are, are those sojourning, foreign, alien, exile, good weirdos, we keep Christianity strange as it was intended to be all along. Well, and now we have the blessing of approaching at the table of the Lord. You know, I think one of the many, you know, there have been many sad things about us not being able to meet in person for all this time. And yet if we look very closely, though, there are, are blessings in the skies that have come to us. And I think one of the greatest blessings that have come from these remote services is that the Lord's Supper has gone away from the altar of the cathedral back to the tables of our homes. And so this is the table of the Lord, made ready for all of those who love Him, for all who want to love Him more, and for those who have tried to live for Him and who have failed. You see, this is a blessed remembrance that we are loved by God. That no matter what is going on in this world around us, that, that we are no longer who we used to be. That we are not defined by our worst days, but that rather all of our sins and our yesterdays have now been forgiven. Washed away, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. See, every time that we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming, we are celebrating in the truth that Satan was defeated when the blood flowed down from the cross. You see, we 
get to remember again and again that we win because of Jesus. So as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup at this time, let us also visualize ourselves just as if we were the apostles seated in the upper room with Jesus. Let us understand that at this very moment in time, we are communing with Jesus, that, that Christ is in our midst at this very second in time in our homes. The body of Christ, which has been broken for you and for me, The blood of Christ shed for you, shed for me.